Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back again. Thanks to you guys, as always, for joining us. Excited, great guest today. Last week, we did an ACC playoff preview. Today, the Big Ten. And it's me, it's Shahan, and it is Adam Rittenberg, national college football writer from ESPN.com. Cut his teeth on the Big Ten back in the day with the Big Ten blog. Uh, you guys remember the Big Ten blog. I mean, you couldn't start your day. It's like a cup of coffee in the Big Ten blog. Adam now covers the whole world. Certainly still has expertise on the Big Ten. So he's going to go through Big Ten playoff teams, Heisman candidates, all this stuff. Adam, thanks for being on the College Football Survivor Show. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. And and a shout out to the Big Ten blog where my greatest accomplishment was learning how to spell Le Marie. Oh, look at that. And then it, it sets you on your path. It's like if you can spell that guy's last name, you can do anything, Adam. And look what you've done in your career since then. No doubt. Yeah, it was all downhill from there. You know, those those 40 posts a day, you know, working seven days a week. It was uh, it was something that was fun, but never to be repeated, even though I <laughs> loved reading every single one of your stories. Doug. Well, Adam uh, knows everything about everything now, uh, but he's going to talk about Big Ten with us. So what we're doing here, we're going through playoff contenders in each conference. We're doing Heisman contenders. We're doing game of the year, that kind of thing. We'll get to the Big 12. We'll get to the SEC. We'll get to the Pac-12. But today, it is all about the Big Ten. And we'll start right in, Shahan, with the most likely playoff team in the Big Ten in 2022. Who do you think it is? We'll have to think real, real hard about this one. You know, I think that uh, you look at the Big Ten, there are just like so many teams who definitely could be this. Um, it's Ohio State. Uh, I, I think that for most of the playoff era, if not all of it, Ohio State has been the presumptive favorite coming into every year. And I think that 2022 might be the most presumptive of the years <laughs> in, the, in the past couple. Obviously, Michigan does make it last year. Michigan will have something to say about it, but they did lose a whole lot not just on the field but also both coordinators uh i mean ohio state they bring back a potential heisman winner and cj stroud they bring back probably the number one receiver in the country jackson smith and jigba uh they they make a great hire at defensive coordinator it's ohio state right this is ohio state's league until somebody makes it not ohio state's league and uh and losing one game at the end of the year last year does not change that for me Eight years of the college football playoff, Ohio State has made the playoff four times, Michigan State once, Michigan once. The Big Ten's been in six out of eight years. I do think, Adam, the most presumptive that Ohio State has ever been in the playoff era, though, was 2015 as the defending national champs, and they didn't make it. So I'm going to imagine, Adam, that the Buckeyes may also be your answer to this question. Yeah, they they are, absolutely. Um, But to your point about 2015 – you can't lose the wrong game. And Ohio State obviously lost that game last year, lost that game in 2015, and was out of the playoff both times and, and not in the Big Ten Championship both times. So, uh, you know, you don't, you still don't have much margin for error at all in, in the four-team CFP uh, era. And, you know, Ohio State was able to overcome that week uh, two loss to Oregon last year, but ultimately couldn't get past Michigan and uh and get back to the playoffs so you know you're looking at their schedule i i you know i know notre dame is going to be a game of of great interest to start off but it's a game ohio state should win and probably win handily and then you know the way the the rest of the schedule sets up they do have to go 
to Michigan State, but and they get both Wisconsin and Iowa in crossovers, but both those games take place in Columbus. I think if, if either or both games uh, happen on the road, then you might look at Ohio State's schedule in, in a little bit different light. But, uh, you know, they have to go to Penn State. Um, that's, that's never an easy uh, trip, and Penn State's a bit of a mystery team. But I think Ohio State has a really good opportunity to get back to the college football playoff. I mean, anything short of, I think, a return to the national championship, I may even, I may even go so far as winning the national championship would be deemed a disappointment because of the quarterback they have, because of the receiver that they have in the receiving core that they've assembled. And to Shahan's point, bringing in Jim Jim Knowles was an excellent move, and I think an overdue move for Ohio State. And his job is not to necessarily feel the top five defense, but feel the top 30 defense, the top 25 defense. With that offense, it should be good enough to get this team at least to the national championship game. Bill Connolly's SP Plus rankings on ESPN updated recently. Ohio State won overall, one in offense, 13 in defense. That does seem to be the question. Of course, every, anybody answering this question, who's the most likely Big Ten playoff team? Of course, it's Ohio State. The real question is what might prevent Ohio State from getting there? And when you think about it, Adam, do you do you think is the hire of Jim Knowles is like, okay, that's fixed. You know, they got a couple young guys on defense coming up, JT Tumaloa and some other guys. They'll be fine. Or are there is there some level of a lingering question about this defense that needs to be proved before anybody can absolutely sort of rubber stamp Ohio State into the playoff? No, I think there absolutely is. You want to see them. You want to see how they perform uh, under this new regime. And uh, you want to see if some of the young players, I mean, w- one positive from one few, one of the few positives last year for Ohio State on defense was that they played a lot of guys. They got a lot of players um, on the field and significant uh, minutes, really from that opening game against Minnesota onward. And so how does that translate? Does that uh, you know, create a, a level of familiarity combined with, I think, a better defensive coordinator, better defensive scheme? that leads to much more competency in, in how they play? Or do we have some of the same issues that surfaced at times? I'm just looking at, at who's going to expose them, though. Um, you know, mm. I think not until maybe that game against Michigan State. I think Peyton Thorne's underrated. I think they have a really good receiving core. Maybe that's the team, especially after being embarrassed last year in, in Columbus, it, that, that, might, that might poke some holes in the Ohio State is going to cruise to the national championship game narrative. And, and really that stretch in October, I know there's an open week, but you got Michigan State on the road, Iowa at home after an open week, and then at Penn State. That's probably the season-defining stretch until you get to Michigan at the very end of the season. So, uh, you know, that's I think where when we'll see if if maybe all this optimism is you know, should be walked back a little bit, at least on the defensive side. I mean, guys, I can't see any way, barring injury, that this is not a top two, top three offense. You just can't convince me otherwise. Where are the holes? The offensive line, I think, should, should could, could, could be even better. I, I really like the Justin Fry hire there. The receiving core is a machine. Every quarterback Ryan Day coaches is, is, is an elite player nationally. So, um, you know, Travion Henderson's a, a sophomore. Mayan Williams is back. I, I just don't see any weakness on this offense. And so, yeah, if, if Bill's projection is correct and Ohio State's 13 in defense, there's no way they shouldn't get to the national championship game and probably win the national championship. 
just to jump off of two, uh, you know, talking about Jim Knowles, the task is very different than what he did at Oklahoma State. Um, you, you know, obviously he came to Oklahoma State four years ago, and this was very much a situation where, one, he needed to fully rebuild the defense, but two, he was going to have to do it with less. He was going to have to build a culture. He was going to have to develop playmakers. And now you're stepping into a situation where you've got talent. You've got elite five-star type talent. So the question is, you know, uh, obviously he managed to match his personnel to a scheme through development at Oklahoma State. I'm curious to see how does it work the other way. When you have the personnel maybe ready to go, is it something where he can adjust on the fly? Is it something where it's only going to take one year? The other part of this too, you know, I mean, not to take it to another team, but, you know, like Oklahoma, we're, we're talking so much about culture. We're talking so much about development. How long does it take to reinstill a culture? That's going to be, I think, a big question over the offseason. Of course, again, Ohio State, you're not starting from scratch. It's Ohio State. You know, they were in the college football playoff in the national championship game in the past couple of years. But obviously, I think that anybody who watched uh, Ohio State's defense against Oregon, against Michigan last year, there's work to be done. But if they hit, I mean, heading into the year, I think that there are two teams that are head and shoulders above everybody else, Alabama and Ohio State. And if that isn't the national championship game, I think that's a disappointment for either of those teams. I have been very curious and have asked Jim Knowles a variety of questions about this idea of sort of what you said, Shahan, that at a place like Oklahoma State, I think you're trying to elevate good talent to be great. And you're doing things like this Jack Leo hybrid stand-up defensive end spot where you're moving that guy around the line of scrimmage. You're trying to throw off a quarterback and maybe not let him know where that guy's going to rush from. Jim Knowles has called this a safety-dependent, a safety-driven defense, right? They're going to play three safeties. They're going to try to do some things on the back end to disguise coverages. And I sort of said, what if you had like Chase Young? Would you put him? at the hybrid spot and move him around? Or if you have Chase Young, do you just want Chase Young to be Chase Young? Because you don't need to move that guy around. You just line that guy up over a tackle and say, win. So the most recent conversation I had with Jim Knowles, I was trying to get to that idea of the sort of the disguising and the moving guys around. Do you do that to elevate your defensive personnel? He's like, no. You do that because the offenses are so good, you have to confuse them. I am reacting to them. It's not about what I'm trying to do to better the guys on my side. I'm trying to throw off the guys on the other side. So that was slightly illuminating to me because for a moment I was sort of fixated on, man, can you almost mess up good talent by maybe trying to be too fancy? Because Ohio State, when it has been good defensively in the past decade, has basically been our ends are going to line up and beat your tackles and our corners are going to line up and cover your receivers and that's it. And then when your talent's not great, when it's just okay instead of great, then you see what happens. And that's what happened in the last two years. So I do think I've come around on the idea of he can come in here, do what he does. The talent will be better. And I do think it will mesh. I don't have any real questions about that. But Adam, not to be like, I'm not trying to overthink it, but this is such a huge hire for Ohio State. He's making almost $2 million a year. They've Ryan Day has called him the head coach of the defense. It's arguably... I've covered Ohio State for almost two decades. The biggest assistant coaching hire, like Ryan Day wound up being the head coach. But when Ryan Day got hired, it was like, oh, yeah, he was Chip Kelly's guy. They all got fired in San Francisco. I guess this guy. Jim Knowles is like coming as a savior of the defense. And I was trying to like almost like overthink it like, oh, maybe he's not a savior because what about this? And then I've kind of come back to, no, the way he explained it, I get it. I do think it'll work at him, right? I, I don't I don't want to be a 
contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian on that. No, and and you look at some of the criticism that they got last year. I remember talking to coaches after the or they lost to Oregon, and they were basically like Joe Moorhead was coaching circles around Kerry Combs, mainly because of what you just said that they were in that cover one base set vanilla. We have more talent than you, so we're just going to play this scheme. And so I think this is necessary, even if they they have I think more talent than Jim Knowles has ever had in his career. I mean, you look at where he's been. You know, obviously the head coach at Cornell, he was at Western Michigan, he was at Ole Miss for a year, and then Duke and then Oklahoma State. So this is, you know, this is the first time he's dealing with, you know, a, a, a unit that's, that's made up of, of four and five star players. And so, you know, it, it will be interesting to see if he is so creative or whether it's sort of a, a hybrid, to use his term, of what he did there at Oklahoma State and in his previous stops and also what uh, what Ohio State did last year because Ohio State had gotten too basic and let's just face it talent or no talent this has been a mediocre to bad unit in three of the last four years so there needed to be a shakeup I think the, the hope for Ryan Day was that Jeff Halfley would be there more than a year that didn't turn out to be to be the case and so that's why this is such an important hire I agree with you I mean we could go through it and and, and obviously Larry Johnson was a big time hire uh, for them uh, but he's a defensive line coach uh, you know, Ryan Day certainly turned out to be a huge assistant hire, but that, I remember that that summer, all the buzz was about Kevin Wilson and bringing him in as the offensive coordinator. It was like, oh, and this other guy's also here, Ryan Day. So I, I think that that's not hyper, hyperbole to suggest this has been the biggest Ohio State assistant hire, at least in the you know CFP BCS era. Yeah, and and the one time in the last previous four years when Ohio State was good on defense, they had the number two pick in the draft at defensive end and the number three pick in the draft at corner. And it's like, well, what if you don't have Chase Young and Jeff Okuda? Then what? And Jim Knowles is the answer to then what? Okay, we're going to talk about Ohio State more because we have things coming up that we're probably going to double back on the Buckeyes. But let's talk playoff dark horse. And honestly, Adam, I think like – Playoff dark horse in the Big Ten is is anybody that's not Ohio State. Like everybody else is eligible for this. Michigan is fourth in Bill Connolly's SP plus rankings. They're coming off a playoff appearance. I would accept Michigan as an answer to this question. So there's a lot of places to go. Playoff dark horse, Adam, in the Big Ten. Who you got? Right. So my initial you know, instinct was to pick Penn State or maybe one of the teams from the West, uh, but I, I'm going with Michigan and. You know, it's because I like the way the schedule sets up for them to ease into things and maybe sort some of the concerns on their roster out before it kind of gets real, so to speak, uh, with some of their games, especially during the month of October, which is very challenging. But I, I think what Michigan has is a formidable offense that needs ultimately some clarity at quarterback. You know, we didn't get much of that this spring because, you know, J.J. McCarthy was was very limited, you know, didn't didn't do much throwing or any throwing and wasn't able to truly compete with Cade McNamara. That will change provided both guys are healthy in the preseason, but they almost have an extended preseason here, guys, because they open with three first-year coaches, Colorado State at home, Hawaii at home, Connecticut at home. Those should all be blowout wins and a chance to get both quarterbacks on the field doing things that they want them to do to ultimately uh, try to make another run to the postseason and also play a lot of, of, of guys on defense. You know, increase those rotations to figure out who are my playmakers going to be because we know that their system is going to be more or less the same than what they had last year with Mike McDonald. That's why you hire uh, Jesse Minter from Vanderbilt because he had been in that same Raven style defense with, uh, with with Mike and John Harbaugh and Wink Martindale. You bring him in to create continuity, but what you can't create 
is Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo and Dax Hill and Josh Ross. Those are a lot of key guys who aren't back. And so I think that's why that early stretch is going to be so important for Michigan. But their overall schedule is, other than that, the, the October 1st game at Iowa, you know, they get Penn State at home. They obviously have to go to Ohio State, but they get Penn State and Michigan State at home and their crossovers are Nebraska at home, Illinois at home, and then that that uh, October 1st game against Iowa. So I, I think this is a team where the schedule sets up well. They have that confidence coming off of last year, a reference point. I think they still have some good leaders. They ultimately need defensive playmakers, but there's a lot to like about their offensive personnel. I think you could make a case, and I'm curious your guys' thoughts, that their collection of receivers and tight ends might be the second best in the Big Ten. We know who the first the first team mm-hmm. is. It's Ohio State. Maybe Maryland is that team. Uh, maybe you could make a case for for Penn State or, or another squad, Michigan State. But I I would probably go with Michigan. So I really like what they have on offense, and then I think they have a chance to not take a huge step back on defense, which then puts them in that playoff mix, especially with the schedule being so easy. I think it's very interesting this year to find out if Michigan's just this good now. Like they got it sorted out. They have an identity. They want to run the ball. They I, it wound up doing a good job last year with the two quarterbacks. You, you see how that expands. Yes, they lost both coordinators, but they, as you said, Adam, they have a philosophy on the defensive side of the ball of how they want to do things. Shahan, that has to be on the table, right? Of like, hey, welcome Michigan solidly maybe to sort of the second tier of college football that or with third tier, if you want to do it, if Bama's by itself and then it's Clemson, Georgia, Ohio state, let's say, and then Michigan's in that next group that Michigan's going to be right there. They're going to have to, that they're going to compete with Ohio state, not beat them all the time, but beat them sometimes as opposed to beating them. Never. Do you think that might be where this program is headed? Shahan? So I, I'm not super worried about that defensive coordinator switch like you're saying they they kind of do the same thing I mean there's a reason that uh, that the Harbaugh brothers keep passing co- coordinators back and forth uh, like they're trading cards but I think my bigger question with them is just the way that they made the playoff last year was that they had the best defensive end duo in the country like bar none by far and they were good as a team, other than that, they did some really nice things on offense. They obviously had a great offensive line, uh, especially playing in the Big Ten. But I don't know. I think my big question about them is what is their elite unit going to be? What, what is the group that pushes them into being a team that can beat Ohio State? Because like you mentioned, the schedule sets up pretty nicely. You get Penn State and Michigan State at home. But you go on the road to Ohio State. And so... With the way that the schedule sets up, it it seems very much like Michigan can lose a game for sure, but they can't lose that one, right? They have to go on the road and beat Ohio State. And I don't think they have a whole lot of other games because they have such a soft non-conference schedule to necessarily make up ground if that game isn't competitive, right? Like to to be in that conversation. Um, Offensively, I do think they're going to be better. I think that they're going to be a little bit more balanced than they were last year. You know, that's, I think, where maybe they have a real chance to grow. Uh, Obviously getting a little healthier at receiver. They brought in a, I can't remember the kid's name, the the freshman who just came in who looked really good in the the spring game. But, you know, they're going to have a few more weapons on the outside, I think. Uh, Have a chance, obviously, with J.J. McCarthy to maybe... uh, be a little bit more explosive too but it's just defensive I, I want to know what they're going to do at an elite level and that's probably my biggest hesitation about them 
Hassan Haskins was so good for them last year at running back. Such a tough physical running back. Blake Corum obviously was really good, then was hurt for part of the year. But Donovan Edwards, who's going to be their second year back this year, he was right there. When Ohio State was recruiting, Ohio State really needed to recruit backs in the recruiting class two years ago. And like Donovan Edwards, Travion Henderson was like right there for Ohio State. That could have gone either way. Trevion Henderson gets to Ohio State and is relied upon immediately. Donovan Edwards gets to Michigan and is their third guy. It's sort of like a wrinkle guy, a little bit of this. I'm curious, Adam, you sort of mentioned this. I, I wonder if Donovan, Ed, if Donovan Edwards could really pop this year. They lose Haskins, but I think Corum and Edwards has a chance to be, I think, better even than what their run game was last year. Josh Gaddis last year was really, I thought, creative running the ball, that they wanted to be a run-first team, obviously, but they didn't just pound it into the defensive tackles for three yards every play. But I they do have some skill guys, right? I mean, like you're not gonna you're not gonna beat Ohio State without a little, a little sizzle with some skill guys. And Corum had that big run early in the second half uh last year against Ohio State. They sort of stuck a knife in, in the Buckeyes. I think they do have a couple guys like that. And they ended up patching it together at receiver last year once Ronnie Bell got hurt and still found a way. I I do think, Adam, they they were they might be significantly improved with the guys that are gonna have the ball in their hands. Yeah, and I think I think you hit on it, Doug, that they need the explosive play throughout their offense ultimately to take the next step. You know, they showed they could beat Ohio State, physically dominating Ohio State at the line of scrimmage benefiting from the weather that day wasn't the only factor but certainly a factor uh but but I think for I think you saw in the in the postseason against Georgia obviously a historically elite defense that they're going to need you know more downfield threats um you know at really every position on offense quarterback running back wide receiver and I I think it's going to be fascinating to your point about Edwards you know kind of moving up into that you know 1b running back role because last year you know, Haskins essentially had you know, double the carries of anybody else. And then after Corum, there's a massive drop. I mean, Donovan Edwards only had 35 carries last year for Michigan average five yards a carry, which is, which is decent. And then also showed he can be a factor in the, as a receiver uh, out of the backfield with 20 receptions. So he's a really interesting player, maybe more similar to Blake Corum, but you got two guys who have the ability to hit home runs. And then you, you look at that receiving core, uh, which is pretty much back intact. And there's a lot of guys uh, that, that have that, that, uh, that, 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 that chance to sort of stretch the field. And that's why the quarterback conversation is so interesting. Does Cade McNamara t- take his game to a level where um, Sharon Moore and, and now Matt Weiss, who's the co-offensive coordinator, for, quarterbacks coach for Michigan last year, do they have enough faith to go forward with Cade McNamara and say, this guy can run a more dynamic version of our offense? Or do they say, you know what, we see that next level ability with J.J. McCarthy. It's why he was a national top 25 recruit. We are going to go with the guy that has the higher ceiling and live with some of the mistakes um, that, that, that he made because he is an explosive player. And if that's the direction that they're going, uh, you think it would make sense eventually to, to have that guy run, run your offense. But it is a really interesting collection of skill um, you know, with, 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 again, Edwards moving into a bigger role, uh, fascinated to see, you know, we, we, we saw Andrell Anthony have that huge performance against Michigan State. You know, can he take a step and, and be a more consistent guy for, for them at receiver? I love Eric All at tight end. Uh, I think we'll be one of the, the top, you know, five or ten tight ends in the country. So it, it's, a, it's an offense that has a lot of positives going for it going into this season. All right, Shahan, who was your playoff dark horse in the Big Ten? 
I went with Penn State. Um, I think that you look at Sean Clifford coming back, uh, and I think obviously having Drew Aller back there too just lets you play with Sean Clifford a little bit differently because you don't feel like if Sean Clifford gets hurt, then you're you're dealing with these awful players, to, to be frank, behind him. I, I think it does change the way that they're able to scheme it up a little bit. Uh, they have a great receiver in Parker Washington. Obviously, I wish that they had Jahan Dotson back. I think that that would help a whole lot. Um, and then defensively, I, I think that like Michigan, they've built enough credibility that even though they've had turnover obviously uh, Jaquan Brisker going to my Chicago Bears uh you know I think that they still have a chance to to be really really good defensively um you know and so I look at it uh you know Doug you've talked about this before they don't play scared against Ohio State which Michigan has had a tendency to do other than last year we'll see whether that's something that is consistent heading forward but I think that uh, that Penn State they get Ohio State at home this year they had a shot against them last year with you know against a a really really good Ohio State offense Uh, I I think that also you look at their schedule it's going to go one of two ways by the end of September right they go at Purdue to start the year which is not an easy game to start with Aiden O'Connell I think going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten and then they go at Auburn on September 17th so you both kind of get tested, but with two manageable games that you should be able to win. And if they get through that stretch, you go Central Michigan, Northwestern at Michigan on October 15th is going to be a really difficult game that I think will say a lot. And I mean, maybe that's kind of where the dark horse contender emerges at that point. Um, and then October 29th, you play Ohio State. So it's a tough schedule. It, uh, you know, a lot of opportunities to kind of slip up, but this feels like an, uh, you know, a chance for Penn State to maybe come together once again. Uh, you've got a quarterback who's been there forever. You've got some good talent waiting in the wings as well. I think that you've still got great receiver talent. Uh, you know, offensive line play is always going to be, uh, you know, a big question mark for Penn State. So if they're able to come along from that perspective, I think that they might be one of the teams who's able to to step up into that field. But again. To reiterate, I mean, it's Ohio State and it's kind of everybody else and everybody else is kind of jockeying to to be the contender to Ohio State. I, I do think Drew Aller has a chance to be a transformative recruit for Penn State. They In this modern era, they have not had sort of that franchise quarterback for a college program. I just don't know if it's now. Christian Hackenberg is punching air right now. He is devastated at what you just said. <laughs> he was a second round. He was a second round pick. He was a second round pick in the NFL. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so they had the recruit. They just didn't turn him any, into anything when they had Christian Hackenberg before. Drew Aller hasn't played football as yet. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm uh, saying. Please, are you seriously Hackenberging Drew Aller before he takes a snap <laughs> in state college? <laughs> thankfully, thankfully uh, Penn State's in a little bit of a better place for Drew Aller to come in than they were with Christian Hackenberg. Ohio kid is going to be interesting when he gets on the field against Ohio State. I think Nicholas Singleton in the backfield for them. Talk Adam sort of talking about that infusion, right, of of skill talent for Penn State. Last year, real problems in the run game. And Jahan Dotson was basically a one-man offense. And as Shahan covered, once Sean Clifford got hurt, they were dead. They they got a little bit of an injection here, I think, with this recruiting class. I think it I don't know if it's a year early. I think 2020, I think there's a chance Penn State could be really interesting in 2023 i just don't know if it's now they did lose some guys off that defense they're kind of you know they're they're trying to line up everything at the same time do you think adam penn state has a chance to jump now they have a chance it's a fascinating team on so many levels and you guys uh, outlined some of the key points there you know to me the, the the most basic assessment of penn state is if they can't run the ball better nothing else matters 
because you, you and I, Doug, and I don't think Sean, you were there that night, but you and I obviously were together in Columbus uh, for the game last year where Sean Clifford, I thought, play, played his uh, you-know-what off, and, and he had no help. They couldn't run the ball. And I saw them early in the season, two guys against Auburn in State College, couldn't run the ball. And it's just stunning now that it's been a few years and they've sort of cycled through different offensive line coaches that that O-line has not come together the way that it needs to at a program that has great tradition at offensive line. I mean, look at the number of pros Penn State has produced over the years at the O-line positions. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't come together on a consistent basis here the last three, four years. And so that, to me, is where it all starts. I I was surprised. I guess I shouldn't be in this age of recruiting. But I was surprised at the the lukewarm reaction, and maybe I'm putting it kindly, that Penn State fans had when Sean Clifford announced he was coming back. It felt like they were ready to move on. And I wanted to remind them and shake them and be like, hey, this guy was playing great early in the year. And if he doesn't get hurt against Iowa, you guys probably beat Iowa. And who knows how your season goes from there. Was he uh, you know, an elite player all season long? No. Was he injured for much of the season, at least the second two-thirds of the season? Yes. And so I, I think it's his team still. Uh, I think you know your point about Dotson is is well taken, but I also like some of their receivers and tight ends that they've established and and bring back from last year's team. I think the key again will be that offensive line and that run game uh, to to help out Sean Clifford. But I, I like Parker Washington. I like Keandre Lambert Smith. I, I like some of the tight end play. Uh, but you mentioned Nick Singleton, and I think he's one of the most intriguing, if not the most intriguing freshman in the Big Ten this year because of what he can do to add some some spice, to add some life to that offense and that running game for Penn State, which has been so brutal to watch. And then on defense, they lose some really good players. Obviously, yeah. uh, um, you know, the transfer from Tem- Temple, Ekibeti, e- 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 um, he was outstanding as a pass rusher, 18 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks. Uh, you know, Jaquan Brisker, second round pick, to the Chicago Bears, um, you know, really valuable player in the back end. And then you got Manny Diaz returning to the coordinator spot, one of the, the more intriguing coordinator hires around the country. The former Miami head coach is on the sideline for, for Penn State calling plays this year. So, you know, they may be the most interesting team in the Big Ten. I think we know Ohio State is the best. Um, we think Michigan might be the second best, at least I do. But I think Penn State is the most fascinating because of all these variables. So my dark horse is Wisconsin, and it's because what if Graham Mertz is good? Like, what if he's good? All right. End of discussion. I guess we're, we're good. We can move on. <laughs> what do we know if he's good already? Like, aren't you the one who complains about Wisconsin noodle arm quarterbacks? Isn't that like your whole thing? He's supposed to be different. He was supposed to be the end of the noodle arm. So, but like, so what if, what if, like, what if I told you Wisconsin had a kind of good quarterback. What might happen? So listen, Braylon Allen. They did. His name was Jack Cohn. Stop. Stop. <laughs> they play at Ohio State Big Ten opener September 24th. They have an easy non-conference schedule as well. I think they're not going to come in here and beat Ohio State in that game. I'm not expecting that. I think it's possible that they win every other game. And then we get an Ohio State-Wisconsin rematch in the Big Ten Championship game. Now, I've never thought that Wisconsin can beat Ohio State in that situation because you take them indoors, you let Ohio State speed get after it, and that is not a good situation for Wisconsin. Wisconsin needs to work on you know, getting the Big Ten title game in Madison one year and hope that it snows. 
But Bobby Engram as a coordinator hire on the offensive side of the ball, interesting. Paul Crist, maybe a little self-reflective. I like it. We all know Jim Leonard is one of the most respected defensive coordinators in the country. SP plus, number one defense coming back, right? They lost Leo Chanel, but they got a lot of guys back. They got a real back in Braylon Allen, who's going to be even better than he was last year as a freshman. Their offensive line is veteran. Their offensive line is always good. And what if Graham Mertz is is pretty good? What if he's what if he's Ohio State wanted Graham Mertz when he was in a recruit? It just hasn't worked yet. And it's like, well, what's going to change? Well, he does have a new coordinator. So maybe there's just it's something a little different, Adam. I'm not, it's a dark horse. I'm not predicting anything. But I can see the I can see the how Graham Mertz is better, and I can see the path. They might be favored in every game they play, other than the visit to Columbus. So just win the games you're supposed to win and get to Indy and take your shot. That's why I picked the Badgers. Am I crazy? No, I, listen. Historically, it's a very sensible pick, and you know, since the Big Ten started its championship game in 2011, Wisconsin. This is the first time, guys. Wisconsin's gone multiple years without making it they obviously made it the first i think uh two years and then they've made it every other year uh since then uh three years i mean first three years um and, and and so they they haven't made it since 2019 but they haven't been far away i think their issues are are pretty clear and, and they're all on the offensive side and, and to me you bring up bobby ingram and he's another interesting coordinator hire in this conference and i'm as interested as to whether he can impact graham Mertz, but also can he elevate that receiver group? Because yep. they just have not had much there to work with. They've always had a good tight end. They've always had good running backs, pretty good to very good offensive line play. But the receivers haven't been even to where they were, like, you know, at the end of the Brett Bielema era, where you had, you know, Jared Abraderis and Nick Toon and those guys. They, they haven't had, you know, receivers that you really worried about on a consistent basis. And you bring in Bobby Ingram, who has tremendous experience as a player and as a coach at that position. And so his number one priority is not to make Braylon Allen better. His priority is to generate a passing game that defenses have to at least respect because otherwise it's going to be the same thing. I guess I'm less bullish than you, Doug, on the schedule um, just because they have to go to Iowa, who won this division last year and brings back a really strong team. They also have to play Purdue, who I think is a team definitely is a dark horse potentially in the West Division who finished last year really strong. They have to, uh, uh, sorry, Purdue's at home. They, they go to East Lansing, a team that we haven't talked about, we haven't mentioned a word about, that finished in the top 10 last year, guys, and won 12 games at Michigan State. And then they have to play Minnesota, which is no longer a gimme. P.J. Flex team has won the axe now a few times uh, in the last few years. And so, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to be a cakewalk for Wisconsin especially because I'm not quite as bullish as, as, as Bill Connolly on the defense, although the numbers in the last seven, eight years would, would back it up. You know, Leo Chanel's a big loss. I think Jack Sanborn is a big loss. And um, I, I also don't not love with their defensive line. So it, it's it may be a year where they're very, very, very good, but not a lead on defense. And then if they don't take that step with, with the quarterback play and the receiver play, you could be looking at three losses which for them would be a disappointment, uh, quite frankly, that they would not get back to the Big Ten championship game. 
I feel like at some point I'm going to have to like stake out a claim as being the Paul Chris truther like that that maybe he's only OK. That maybe like maybe Wisconsin just kind of does some stuff well and and he doesn't have a whole lot to do with it. But, you know, I mean, I think that obviously when Paul Chris came back, the hope was that the biggest thing that he could elevate was that quarterback position. And it just hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened. You know, Doug, you ask, what if Graham Mertz is good? Well, you know, if, if I was seven feet tall and could jump 40 inches, I'd be LeBron James. And I'm not. And so I, I think that for them, I like a lot about what they have coming back. And I will say, too, they finished eight and four last year and started one and three in hindsight perfectly forgivable you know just looking at the team that they had to play looking at the teams that they lost to uh you know they they go and beat Iowa by 20 points last year but then lose to Minnesota by 10 points in a very weird game I I think that for them I just again I don't know what they do when Ohio State is on the other sideline like what are they where are they having success what I think that the biggest thing would be if they if Ohio State's still weak up front and you can run at them a little bit, but then I still think that then they can stack the box and and Wisconsin can't really do anything against that because I don't really trust either their quarterback or their receivers. I, I do like Bobby Ingram coming in. I think that's something that could pay dividends in a couple years, but I, I just don't know if in this first year, if all of a sudden it's gonna fundamentally change a player who has has frankly been bad for the for the last year and a half of of playing football. You know, he had he had such a great start to his career, obviously, and it's kind of just been downhill from there. Uh, Braylon Allen's great, obviously. Once he once he entered the lineup, uh, you know, they fundamentally changed. Actually, I'll stop talking about him now because I will get to him in a second too with one of our other categories. But I I just don't see the vision. I I just I'm worried about them going to Nebraska. I'm worried about them going to Iowa. I'm worried about them going to Michigan State. I, I don't know where their easy moments are on this schedule. You guys really have a lot of respect for the Big Ten West. Could be interesting out there. Like if it's one of those things. <laughs> nobody nobody picked Nebraska, whatever the Nebraska thing is, is Nebraska lost every game last year by two points, and that means they're gonna go in eleven one this year. I Nebraska might be better, right? They got the Texas transfer at quarterback. Minnesota is kind of like a real program now. Iowa's Iowa. It, it is. The West is interesting. I think the thing is always, if you're a great team, then the West feels easy. If you're a good team, the West feels real hard because everybody's fine. Every, you know, it, having to go and play a bunch of 60-40 games week after week after week, it, it starts to wear on you if you're not a great team. And I don't think that there is a great team right now in the Big Ten West. I would, I would wear that. I would adopt that as a t-shirt slogan for the Big Ten West. If you're a great team, it's easy. If you're a good team, it's hard. The Big Ten West. <laughs> that's, that's as good as you're going to get. I, I like it. I like it. All right. We'll come back after this and we'll do game of the year. What is the most important game for the playoff race for Big Ten teams next on the College Football Survivor Show? Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja with our special guest, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Is it Ohio State-Michigan? Is there a nominee that isn't the Ohio State-Michigan game for the most important playoff game for the playoff race in the Big Ten? Adam, is it is it just that, Michigan coming to Columbus? Yeah, it probably is, but I, I try to think of other games that would, would, would be impactful. Um, and I, I think w- one that certainly comes to mind is, is uh, uh, Iowa at Ohio State, and that's going to happen on October 22nd. Um, actually, Iowa has uh, Michigan earlier in, in the month. That could be another one. I just think Iowa is going to be a team 
that that factors into this one way or the other. It's you know maybe I should go with the extra the home game just because Iowa's so tough to beat at home. Michigan comes in on October first, really having played nobody uh, in its uh, in its September schedule. They do have Maryland, who who, who might be a little bit of a test for their defense. But um, I, I think one of those games, I just have a feeling, is going to be weird and will be impactful. But you know, in terms of the playoff, yeah, I picked Ohio State to make the playoff. I picked Michigan as my dark horse. But certainly that game at the end of the season is going to be uh, incredibly impactful as far as uh, as who gets to the playoff from the Big Ten. Sean, what'd you have? Yeah, I mean, I think that those are both great choices. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna look at that first week of the season. And I think back to last year, Georgia plays Clemson, and that game ultimately kind of ruins the ACC's playoff chances. Now, the ACC is not the Big Ten. The Big Ten will probably be fine and have a playoff uh, contender regardless. But if Ohio State loses to Notre Dame in week one at the Horseshoe, it makes things a lot more complicated for everybody in the Big Ten because then Ohio State has to win out. They have no choice. And uh, and everybody else, I think, loses a couple of points along the way. Whereas if Ohio State beats Notre Dame, Notre Dame's probably going to be uh, in a transition year, potentially a top 10, 15 team. It builds a lot of credibility for the league and for everybody else in it. So I think that that Ohio State-Notre Dame game is going to be a huge opportunity for Ohio State. It's going to be a huge opportunity for Notre Dame. And I think that it's a big moment for the Big Ten just to kind of show their might with their you know top team obviously going against a first-year head coach. I think that Notre Dame-Ohio State game has a chance to be competitive. I think Michael Mayer is a really tough matchup for Ohio State, one of the best tight ends in the country, maybe the best, one of the best two. And Ohio State's linebacking core is probably the weakness of the defense. Do they line up a safety over him? I don't know exactly how they're going to deal with him. Notre Dame with a young quarterback, you know, C.J. Stroud with a year under his belt, that's a huge edge for Ohio State. Let's go to 2023 when Ohio State goes to South Bend and, you know, Tyler Buckner should be back as Notre Dame starting quarterback and Ohio State might have a new quarterback. That'll be more interesting. Marcus Freeman coming in. I do think, I do think it has a chance to be interesting. To note on Iowa, Ohio State, again, it's part of why people are having discussions right now about do you get rid of divisions? Do you have teams play each other? Ohio State has not beaten Iowa since 2013 because they've only played once since then. And that was in 2017 in Iowa City, where Josh Jackson had three picks. And uh, Nate Stanley had the game of his life, and Iowa beat Ohio State. So Iowa and Ohio State have played some interesting games. They put, In the Terrell Pryor era, they played some really tight games. Ohio State had to kick a game-winning field goal one time in Columbus to beat Iowa. Potential for something very interesting. But I am, I am obviously saying Ohio State-Michigan because, Adam, I am curious. I do think there has been a psychological block with Michigan. I think they got in their own way. They didn't – the last – 15 years, they haven't had as much talent as Ohio State. But at moments when you thought they could compete, there were too many moments where, whether it was the revenge tour or other things, where it feels like they were trying so hard to overcome this, the way the series had swung, that they were almost, they, they were stopping themselves as much as Ohio State was stopping them. Now that they have a win, I don't know if that barrier has been broken. And I am a little curious, Adam. Ohio State's now going to be thinking about this all year because last time Ohio State lost to Michigan, it was the Luke Fickle year. Urban Meyer came in like you flush that loss. It's gone. This is the first time they've had to sit with a Michigan loss for a whole year and basically almost two decades. I assume they'll be okay, Adam, but we don't know for sure. And there's a small part of me that wonders, 
will Ohio State now get in its own way because they've been thinking about this loss for 365 days and none of these players and none of none of the guys in this coaching staff have really gone through that before. Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic and um cuz I think you and I have talked about this before Doug that like the 2011 came you know th- th- there were probably some like somewhat illegitimate wins on the Ohio State side of the series too, like going back to like the mid 2000s. But that was a pretty illegitimate win for Michigan. I mean, think about all the circumstances that Ohio State was dealing with that season. But this was not. This was a real win that they got last year. There was nothing fluky about it. They physically dominated Ohio State. Uh, They uh, were more efficient than Ohio State. They played much better defense, obviously, than Ohio State did. And so that's a great reference point for Michigan And it also can be a really good reference point for Ohio State because a lot of those same guys are going to be back uh, for for the game in Columbus this year. And uh, and how that impacts them throughout the year will be really interesting. I think we're going to find out about Ryan Day and his two predecessors, not counting Luke Fickle, to be fair to Luke, um, were brilliant at at, at building up the uh, Michigan game. Uh, Jim Trestle was unreal at it. Urban Meyer obviously never lost to Michigan. Uh, can Ryan Day be that same type of motivator, especially because Michigan has that belief that they lacked? And 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 a lot of those guys who who had big roles in the game last year uh, are going to have leadership roles uh, on the team and can communicate that to, to Michigan. So, yeah, I mean, on paper, Ohio State should win this game. They should probably win it somewhat comfortably. But uh, there are different circumstances than we've had in quite some time which really adds to the intrigue. Now, will both teams get there with, with one or zero losses? I guess that's the unknown uh, because you know, we've seen Michigan have trouble with Michigan State. Um, I, I, Ohio State, you know, again, I, I personally don't think they're going to have a whole lot of trouble with Notre Dame, but it's certainly a game of note. And they have some others on their schedule to get to Michigan with a perfect record or a one-loss record. So there, there are a lot of very intriguing variables about that game. All right, Shahan, spoiler. This is the team that, you know, maybe they're not in the playoff race, but could they win a game that screws up somebody else's? People know what a spoiler is, Doug. What's a spoiler, sports guy? Who's your spoiler in the Big Ten this year? Well, I did look at Purdue's schedule because Purdue is like the always spoiler. Like, that's just kind of their deal. And they don't really play anybody uh, of note in the college football playoff race. So I'm going to go to where Adam said, and I'm going to go with Iowa. They played both Ohio State and Michigan. They play Michigan at home on October 1st. They play Wisconsin also on November 12th. So they get a lot of these teams. You know, last week I, I picked Louisville for this reason, right? Because they have so many opportunities to ruin people's seasons. I think Iowa has that same opportunity. And they're going to be an interesting team I think that they're going to be a relatively high variance team kind of like they were last year where you know when they force turnovers it's going to make sense when they don't it's going to be maybe a little bit of a slog but uh, but I think that especially against a Michigan team that might be trying to figure out whether it can pass the ball on October 1st that's going to be an interesting game I, I think that that could be one that really swings uh, the Big Ten East race in some ways obviously I, I think that for a team to be a spoiler truly in the college football playoff race they have to play Ohio State which they do. Uh, I think that there are several opportunities for Iowa to make their uh, make their case. And so uh, for me, they're the spoiler. Okay, so I'm going to go with a team that I sort of thought filled this role last year. And I think this team will eventually become a factor, maybe not in a playoff race, but maybe in a, in a divisional race in the Big Ten. But they're not there yet. So I'm going to go with Illinois. 
because I think Brett Bielema might use like 18 personnel or something. Can you have eight tight ends on the field? He'll do something, and he has two real opportunities here. One is Illinois is at Wisconsin on October 1st. That's the week after Wisconsin plays Ohio State, and Wisconsin, if Wisconsin's coming off an Ohio State win, they'll be set up for Brett Bielema to ruin their lives. Or if they're a little, down, little downtrodden, maybe Illinois goes and surprises somebody there. And then, even more so, Illinois is at Michigan the week before the Michigan-Ohio State game. And that would be, hey, Illinois comes in, they have three or four wins, like, eh, they're not very good, and Michigan's getting ready for Ohio State, here we go, and Brett Bielema screws it up. I think Brett Bielema, Adam, at some point will be a factor in the Big Ten again. I, I do. I think that's going to work. I've, I as soon, as soon as he was gone, I wanted him back. I want Brett Bielema in the Big Ten. So now he's still getting it together, but I think he can he can conjure it for a, a week at him and maybe screw up somebody else's season, regardless of whether they actually have that much talent or not. Yeah, I mean, they they obviously had some really notable wins last year. Uh, it's kind of amazing to think about Illinois having road wins against Penn State and Minnesota, I believe, and still not making a bowl game. I mean, and, and they dominated Northwestern, a series where they've struggled mightily in the last uh, you know, 10, 15 years. That was a, that was a great win for them. Um, so it, it's possible. I, I think Illinois probably regresses this year looking at their roster. I mean, that, 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 they had a lot of seniors. They had quite a few guys that were NFL uh, draft guys. And then there was this sort of massive gap between their senior class and their freshman class that they've tried to fill a little bit through the transfer portal. So I, I, I probably wouldn't go with, with Illinois as my, as my spoiler, but maybe for one game, it, it's, it's certainly possible. You know, my, my inclination was uh, aligned with, with Shahan in, in Iowa just because they have both Michigan and Ohio State on the schedule in a relatively um, you know, short, short period. And if Iowa can get it going, is some like some somewhat like Wisconsin with their quarterback play. I think they're going to be really good uh, in other areas of their team. I think their their line play is going to be good. I think their running backs are going to be good. Their defense doesn't get the same national recognition as Wisconsin, but Phil Parker I think is the most underrated coordinator in the country. If you look at what he's done, I mean they they've had the Big Ten Defensive Back of the Year more than anybody else since the award started. I think much more than anybody else. So. Um, I, I really like this Iowa team, except for the quarterbacks. Uh, and I just don't know if they can sort that out. But what if Spencer Petrus is good? What if Spencer <laughs> Petrus is good? <laughs> I have more faith in Graham Mertz, like, like <laughs> 10 times more faith than Spencer Petrus. Um, I, I really think if they have any reason to play anybody else, they will. But, but they, you know, they may not have that reason. And that's the, that's the, that's where the frustration lies. I think if you're, um, if you're an Iowa fan this year is because you, you have a really good team and a team that could, you know, create problems for the big boys. But if you're not much, 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 much better at quarterback, it's not going to matter. So yeah, Iowa is interesting. I think Purdue, if Purdue had uh, a little bit different schedule, they do open with Penn state, which is a fascinating game on a Thursday night, but they don't have Michigan. They don't have Ohio state, but they could be a, a kind of West division spoiler uh, you know, they go to Wisconsin where they haven't had a lot of success and then they have an off week before Iowa. So that that stretch could be really intriguing if, if Purdue is to be a factor at all in the West. At Big Ten Media Days, I'm going to run through the hallways shouting out the names of mediocre Big Ten quarterbacks and saying, what if Graham Mertz is good? What if Spencer Petrus is good? What if? And and just like the boy who cried wolf, like and I'll cover myself, and then people be like, ah, like if one of them's half decent, they'll be like, that guy, 
he was on it. Remember that guy in the hallway shouting out, what if? They've got like three and a half quarterbacks in the Big Ten that we know. Are he kind never of- should have been escorted out by security for, for shouting and you know, <laughs> removing his clothes. He, 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 was, he, was, he was a visionary, that guy. I'm definitely getting kicked out by security at some point in my career. Uh, last, one of the last times I was at Big Ten Media Days, I was on an elevator that went crazy. And it was going up and down on its own with that. We were hitting buttons. It wouldn't stop. We were trying to pry the door open and everybody inside was like, yeah, it'll be fine. And I was like, what if we go up 80 stories and then plunge to our deaths? And they were like, oh, yeah, what if that happens? And then right then the door came open. But like for like three minutes, we were in an out of control Chicago elevator. So... The Big Ten owes me one. So if I go crazy, that I'm going to drop that on them to make sure I don't get kicked out. So, so your first thought when you're in an elevator that's going crazy is, guys, have you thought about the worst case scenario? Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> Who does that? Yes! I mean, it's like, because everybody was like, ah, I'm like, we have to get these doors open! It's, a, it's like an 80, we were like in an 80-story building. And we went up like to the fourth floor, and then we went down to like the one and a half floor for no reason. It's like, why won't we go to 80? And then I just walked off, and they were like, they got us out. And I just walked up there like, you're okay? I was like, yeah, we're fine. And I was like, why didn't I threaten to sue? I could have gotten like 10 grand out of them. All right, I'll still try it again. I'll, I'll do it. That's like, that's I'll yell about Spencer Petrus, and then I'll say, give me 10 grand. When we come back... Heisman favorite, Heisman Dark Horse of the Big Ten next in the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug and Shahan back with Adam Rittenberg. Shahan, who is the best Heisman candidate in the Big Ten this year? So there's obviously a favorite. I'm not going to go with him. Uh, I think this, this is me talking. This is obviously my perspective on it. Last year, Ohio State had three of like the f- six best receivers in the country, if not better. And it felt like Heisman voters were like, I don't know who to reward. Let's just give it to the guy who's throwing to them. And this year, that won't be the case. They have a guy who I think is going to stand above as being perhaps the best receiver in the country. And that's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Obviously, caught a bunch pass last year, had over 1,600 receiving yards. And I think he's going to play an even bigger role on this team uh, in 2022. You know, again, they have other great players uh, behind, of course, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming, guys like that. But I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba is really going to set himself apart as being that guy. And I think I think 2020 and some of the years before that with Alabama really set the scene that having great receivers matters. They can stand apart. I, I think that Devontae Smith winning will kind of be seen as a moment where things shift just a little bit in terms of who we value in the passing game. And look, CJ Stroud's a great player. He has a chance to go number one in the NFL draft. I think that Jackson Smith and Jigba deserves a little bit more of the credit than he gets. And I think he will get it this upcoming year, especially since he will be the no doubt about it number one guy on that team. So let's have a Jackson Smith and Jigba conversation here because he's actually my dark horse because the latest odds that I looked at, he's 50 to one. So that's that's a dark horse to me. Devontae Smith for Alabama, the year that he won the Heisman, at the time of the Heisman voting, he had played in 11 games. He had 1,511 receiving yards, 137 yards per game. Jackson Smith and Jigba's last 11 games last year, 
he had 1,449 receiving yards, 132 receiving yards per game. But Devontae Smith had 17 touchdowns that year. Jackson Smith had Jigba last year. And those 11 games only had six because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson were getting a lot of those touchdowns. Adam, I do think there is a Devontae Smith path for Jackson Smith and Jigba to what Shahan described. Clear number one receiver for Devontae Smith. It was because Jalen Waddle got hurt. Listen, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming are good, but Jackson Smith is, Smith and Jigba is clearly going to be the guy. He clearly has a connection with C.J. Stroud. They're in the same recruiting class. I think that matters, and that helps him. I think he has a chance. Now, this won't be by the Heisman voting because this would include potentially two playoff games. I think he has a chance at a 2,000-yard receiving season, and there's only been like one of those in college football history. I, I, that's The guy had 350 yards in the Rose Bowl, so that's extreme. But, Adam, I, I do think if you're going to win it as a receiver these days, it's got to be kind of a bonkers case, but I think he has a chance to make that kind of case. So I kind of like where Shahan Ted is at. Adam, what do you think about JSN? Yeah, he's an unbelievable player. Uh, I'd love to see him have a real chance to win. I guess my only concern there is that you look at the, you guys both brought up Devontae Smith. You know, his quarterback that year was a guy that nobody really believed in. Uh, and that was Mac Jones going into the season. Oh, Mac Jones, you know, he's just a manager. He's not going to be one of these great. Well, he turned out to be pretty darn good, uh, for Alabama and then became a first round pick in, in the NFL. But he did not go into the season with any Heisman hype. I'm talking about Mac. C.J. Stroud will go into the season as the Heisman favorite. And so my concern, just knowing the patterns of voters, is that because they know who C.J. Stroud is, it won't matter the numbers that Jackson Smith and Jigba puts up as long as C.J. Stroud is the one delivering him the ball. C.J. Stroud would get the votes. Um, So I'm curious to see if one of those scenarios that you guys outlined could actually come true um, because I I just don't see how it wouldn't be Stroud over Smith and Jigba unless – there's just we have all, a bunch of those Rose Bowl type games, but again, even that game, who was who was creating more buzz? Was it Stroud or was it Smith and Jigba? Maybe Smith and Jigba just by a little bit, but you're going to need a lot of those if if Stroud is the guy delivering those passes because he's already a known dude. He's already the favorite in many people's mind ahead of a guy that won the Heisman last year in Bryce Young. So CJ is is my most likely Heisman guy. Adam, is that your most likely Heisman guy? So let's have a CJ Stroud conversation now. I do think in this tying this conversation together, and you sort of Im- implied this, Shahan. I think a Jackson Smith and Jigba case has to be accompanied by some doubt about CJ Stroud. That oh, in twenty twenty one he had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And then, oh, in 2022, well, Jackson Smith and Jig was so good, he'd make any quarterback look this awesome. And, and then maybe this year, if the other receivers don't put up huge numbers and it really is a passing game centered on Jackson Smith and Jigba, because we lean quarterbacks, because C.J. Stroud was a Heisman finalist last year, because he's projected as a high first-round pick, there would have to be something, Shahan, that – creeps in right about cj because cj's obvious and i don't it's one of those things they're teammates they're friends they they're gonna both do it together but do you like do you think that's possible shahan that maybe like he doesn't run at all he's a pocket passer his best attribute is his brain he doesn't have a rocket arm necessarily he's really smart and accurate and maybe that's just not as quite as enticing to people he because the funny thing is, Adam, hype-wise, there's no comparison between C.J. Stroud and Mac Jones. 
like actually like kind of how they play. I actually think there are some comparisons between CJ Stroud and Mac Jones. I actually think there's some comparisons between CJ Stroud and, and Joe Burrow too. I think CJ Stroud might occupy some place sort of like in between Mac Jones and Joe Burrow. But Shahan, do, do you think like, like how do you think that'll sort itself out as people think about these guys as Heisman candidates? Well, I think that there's a couple of things that you would look at. One, I think it's just having tunnel vision, right? Like, because last year you look anywhere on the field and you're CJ Stroud, there's a guy who's open like every moment because you've got three of the best receivers in the country. And by the way, an NFL tight end in Jeremy Ruckert. And by the way, an NFL running back in Trayvon Henderson. Like what he had last year is just unmatched. So I think that heading into this year, if there is a period of transition where he's just eyeing JSN the entire time down the field, uh, you know, I, I think that that's going to be part of it. Obviously, at the beginning of last year, his numbers were good, but people didn't necessarily love the way that he was playing. Right. I mean, he ended up sitting out because of that uh, that shoulder issue that he was having. And by the time he came back uh, for Rutgers, he was obviously a little bit more back to normal and looked a lot better from there on out. So I think that it would to some extent depend on. Does he have a slow start? Does he maybe? Because the thing with a quarterback, too, is a quarterback is allowed to have zero bad games to be a Heisman winner, right? Mm. Like, that that's just how being quarterback works. Every moment is analyzed, all this sort of stuff. With a receiver, I mean, you got to be close to that 100-yard mark, I think, most games. But, like, if you have an off week in, in a not very significant game, I don't think it matters as much if you then go on in a big game and have 10 catches for 217 yards right like I think it's just a different path CJ Stroud has to be perfect as a quarterback in some ways in a way that I don't think Jackson Smith and Jigba needs to be um and the other thing too is just this isn't necessarily about doubt about CJ Stroud but I think that look at the numbers last year right I mean Jackson Smith and Jigba 95 catches 1600 yards nine touchdowns obviously we expect his touchdown numbers to go way up with those two other guys off to the NFL and I think though that I mean, you look at the group. I mean, after after those three, it's 27 catches for Travion Henderson, 26 for Jeremy Ruckert. I think that the path is 120 catches for Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's close to 2,000 yards. It's close to 20 touchdowns. And I think that then it's also nobody else on the team having more than like 50 catches, right? Like, I think that that's probably the path where it's just so far and away, obviously Jackson Smith and Jigba's team, which I mean, the system's obviously going to set other guys up to get catches. They just throw the ball a lot as a big part of it. But I do think that, uh, that the path is probably for Jackson Smith and Jigba's numbers to be so overwhelming to, to the point of reaching nearly half of CJ Stroud's passing yards. Uh, and I think that that's very much possible. It maybe doesn't have to be accompanied by C.J. Stroud doubt if Jackson Smith and Jigba has the greatest receiving season in the history of college football, right. which I think is possible. Like, that's the ceiling. What's the ceiling? Last year, as a number three receiver for Ohio State, he had the more receiving yards than anybody in Big Ten history. Now, as a number one option, could he have more receiving yards than anybody ever? Yeah, I think he could. So if, if he does that, even if C.J. Stroud is great, it's like C.J. Stroud is awesome, but this guy – is better than anybody's ever been at his position. I do think that's the case. Real quick on C.J. Stroud. Last year, he averaged running and passing combined. He doesn't run at all. But he had averaged 348 yards per game, finished fourth in the Heisman. Dwayne Haskins in 2018 averaged 362 yards per game, passing and running, finished third in the Heisman. Justin Fields, 2019, averaged 263 yards per game, 100 fewer yards than Dwayne Haskins. 
finished third in the Heisman because Justin just had a little more sizzle. He's obviously a dual threat quarterback. He can run. He can make spectacular plays. Last year, C.J. Stroud, his last nine games after he set out the Akron game, he averaged 386 yards per game combined. If he does that for 13 games, he'll have – that's actually just passing yards. He'll have 5,000 passing yards by the time they vote for the Heisman. Joe Burrow, when they voted for the Heisman in 2019, had 4,715 passing yards when they voted, and he won overwhelmingly. They both have a chance at him at like historic record-breaking, record-shattering seasons because it's Ryan Day's offense. They're very skilled. It's what they're going to do. So it's interesting to think about. I do think there will be a race. Who will it be? You can't rely on voters. Voters are silly. So – I had Stroud as my favorite, Jackson Smith and Jigba as my dark horse. Adam, did you have a different dark horse? Yeah, you know, I struggle with this a little bit. I, I probably should have gone with Smith and Jigba now thinking about it because you guys made a lot of really good points. Um, I ended up going with Braylon Allen from Wisconsin. And um, you know, just based on a, a, a guy that you know was so consistent as a 17-year-old. Um, and God, I sat across from him this spring, guys. He does not look like I looked at 18 or like either of you guys look. He, he is uh, he is built differently. Um, and he's a very impressive uh, young guy and obviously a very um, talented player. And so I think um, you know, he's going to get the ball a lot for Wisconsin. We know that. We know that's how they like to, 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 to beat people. And I just think that if he can build off of, of what he did last year and perform you know, w- well in some of their bigger games, obviously struggled against Minnesota but was over 100 yards, um, every other game this year, uh, when he was the the featured back for the Badgers, sorry, last year as a, a true freshman, obviously went for 228 against Nebraska. So I think he's an interesting one because we've seen Wisconsin running backs win the Heisman, obviously Ron Dane, but also generate some buzz for the Heisman, whether it was Monte Ball uh, or Melvin Gordon, uh, Corey Clement even a little bit um, in, in his career. And then obviously, um, uh, um, well, I'm forgetting the guy that- it was just there, the record setting. Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. I don't know, just complete brain brain fart there. But yeah, Jonathan Taylor was 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 uh, was just unbelievable. So it's not it's not a position where you have to like you know wave your arms and say, look at me, I play Wisconsin, I'm running back for Wisconsin. It's a notable position nationally. And if he comes out and puts up some big totals uh, because of his story, and um, I think that, that there'll be some intrigue in him as a possible dark horse for the Heisman. Another guy too at running back. I mean, we, we talk about Travion Henderson whether he can take that step for Ohio State and you know whether their offense maybe isn't so pass-oriented and you can get him involved as, as an explosive player. But I, I would go with uh, with Allen as my pick. Interesting. I, I think that it's going to create some debate here because, Shahan, your dark horse is Graham Mertz, right? <laughs> no, it's not. And also, I don't need to talk about every single player on Ohio State's roster. We, we know that they're all really good. Uh so mine was actually also Braylon Allen, but another name that I had down on my list was Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. Aiden O'Connell just launches bombs. That, that's what he does. Uh, you know, that's that's what he came to Purdue to do. And man, it, it'll be interesting to see what he can do without David Bell. But I think that you look at what he was able to do, uh, you know, former walk-on, I believe, by the way, uh-huh. Aiden O'Connell. Uh, for him to come in, throw for 3,700 yards, 28 touchdowns, I think that for me, I want to see his interception numbers come down just a little bit. He had two, three interception games. But if he does that, I mean, he... C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback in the Big Ten, and it's not really that close. 
and Aiden O'Connell's probably next, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of the conversation that we're having at this point. Uh, obviously, Jeff Brom has done such a tremendous job with quarterbacks. Uh, I'm excited to see what Aiden O'Connell can do with another year under his belt. Again, obviously, going to be a little bit of a different situation with uh, with David Belloff. They obviously just uh, they lost Milton Wright to their number two receiver to academic issues, but. They've got talent. I, I'm not that concerned about Purdue finding receiver talent. Jeff Brom's done a great job of bringing in that talent. Uh, and, and again, I'm curious to see whether they can continue to build. I think that obviously Jeff Brom had such a strong start to his career at Purdue and things kind of petered out. Last year really looked a little bit more like what we came to expect from him. I want to see if they can build on it a little bit, build on a nine win season, you know, either replicate that, obviously try to compete for 10 wins as well. And I think that if they do that, like, do I think Aiden O'Connell's going to win the Heisman Trophy? No, but we're talking about dark horse players, and I think that he has a really good chance to to be in that dark horse conversation. Kenny Pickett showed us the path, right? I mean, you come from off the radar, you put up big stats, your team wins double-digit games, you have some big, and then you get to New York, right? I mean, are you going to beat Bryce Young? No, but you get to go stand in a suit and take a picture with the Statue of Liberty, whatever. I don't know what they do in New York. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's <laughs> that path, the Kenny Pickett path. Let me, let me give you guys two more just real quick. What about Peyton Thorne? We haven't talked about him at all. Um, had, had really had one of the best statistical seasons for a quarterback in Michigan State history and returns a pretty good group of receivers. I saw them practice this spring, and, 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 they're, and they're fairly deep at, at that spot. And then what about J.J. McCarthy? What if he wins the Michigan starting quarterback job, and what if he is doing interesting things for that offense, given what we went through earlier, you know, I know that's sort of a knock against Cade McNamara, but if, if JJ can win that job at some point and starts to do some buzzy things, does he get some, some love for the Heisman? So on Thorne, I, I want to see him be consistent, right? Like that's the big thing is like, you know, right away, am I getting good Peyton Thorne or bad Peyton Thorne? And, you know, you see he has all these, uh, I mean, he has 354 against Pitt and three touchdowns in the bowl game, for example. And then he goes 196, two interceptions against Michigan. Like you just don't know who you're going to get. And the thing that I struggle with is the fact that he was smallest per se in all of their biggest games, right? Against Ohio State, against Michigan. Now, look, those teams are also very good at football. I don't think that means that he's a bad player by any means. But, you know, I think that that's probably where he can improve, right? You, you mentioned bringing back a great receiver core. Uh, I, I think that that's going to be exciting for Michigan State. I love Jarek Broussard, who they brought in at running back. He's not going to be Kenneth Walker, but he has a chance to be really good. Uh, you know, it, we didn't really have a Michigan State discussion at all on this on this podcast. But, like, I, I think that they're still going to have a chance to be in contention for 10 wins uh, with what they've brought in. Peyton Thorne, again, if he can up his game, I think that it's really just about being consistent because we've seen the flashes from him. We've seen him be able to do it, but now he has to be able to do it game to game, I think, if he wants to get into that conversation. What if Peyton Thorne is good? No, uh, I do think Peyton Thorne, I, I think Peyton Thorne has a chance to be the second best quarterback in the Big Ten this year. If Peyton Thorne was at Wisconsin, then uh, then they'd win the conference. It would be great. If Peyton Thorne was at Wisconsin, it'd be like, watch out, Bama. Here come the Badgers. Uh, but I do think, I mean, again, if it's like sort of like Aiden O'Connell, Talia Tonga-Vailoa, Peyton Thorne, like if J.J. McCarthy is this guy, that's kind of the group behind C.J. Stroud. I, I do think we could get second team all Big Ten quarterback this year could be Peyton Thorne. So I do think that's interesting. And then Jay, the J.J. McCarthy wrinkle, it's like this guy can throw. They, they've used him as a runner last year. Like I just, there's a, I'm curious as I'll get out to see it. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm still 
surprised and fascinated. And I got to give credit for the way Michigan worked it last year. I was waiting for J.J. McCarthy to take over all last year. They never did. And he gave them just a little bit here and there. So they did it right a year ago. You have to keep him on the radar. I'm still looking forward because he was a guy that was on Ohio State's radar and they took Kyle McCord instead. 2023, J.J. McCarthy McCarthy versus Kyle McCord in the Ohio State-Michigan game is still sort of what I'm targeting. I think that could be a fun little battle. All right. Team that's maybe not in the playoff picks right now this year in 2022, but will be in five years. Adam Rittenberg, who do you have there for the Big Ten? Finally, we get the chance to talk about Michigan State. I think this is this is this is a fairly. I mean, you guys might have different picks, but that 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 to me was a fairly easy one because of what they did last year, but also the investment that they made in Mel Tucker. Because you know that that contract, and I'm, I'm writing about this, you know, fairly soon for ESPN Plus. You know, it, it generated. I, I think it generated more buzz than a normal, you know, big number coaching contract. I think for two reasons, you know, one was that it was Mel Tucker and it was a guy who was only in his, not even completed his third year as an FBS head coach, uh, but a guy who had a really impressive resume as an assistant. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find too many coaches who had done more as an assistant coach, both at the college and NFL levels than Mel had um, before he got his first opportunity at, at Colorado. But I think the bigger reason was, oh my God, Michigan state did that. Michigan state's paying a head coach a hundred million dollars. Like what's going on here? Like you'd expect that from Ohio State, you expect that from Alabama, um, you know, you expect that from you know maybe uh, Georgia or LSU or or even like an Oklahoma, but Michigan State was never seen as the type of program that would shell out that amount of money, and they did. And to me, it's signaling that they want to move up a tier. They don't just want to be in this second fiddle, this you know, team that we haven't even talked about in, in almost more than an hour of, of this show. Um, uh, they, they want to be a national player annually. And that's why that investment is much more than just one guy. It's in their entire program. It's in their support staff. It's in what they want to be going forward. And I think with, with Mel's background and his ability to recruit, and I think some of the areas that they can grow in their program, um, they're going to be a team that, that I think we're talking about maybe in the same uh, breath as, as Penn State, sometimes in the same breath as Ohio State. Uh, I know Michigan's getting better as well, and that, that's a tricky part because not everyone can be in that conversation every year. But I, 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 Michigan State, you know, because of, of, of their success last year and their investment in Mel and who he is, I think will be a team that we're at least discussing, especially when the playoff expands, which I, I think we all believe it will at some point in the future. And we know what that looks like. In the eight-year span between 2010 and 2017, under Mark D'Antonio, Michigan State won double-digit games six of those eight years. They finished in the top 15 of the final AP poll six of the eight years, and they finished in the top 10 three of the eight years. So, like, we've seen it. Like, uh, what what would Mel Tucker have to do to sort of make this come true, what you just said, Adam? Do what D'Antonio did. A decade ago, like we know what it looks like. And and Mel Tucker's his own guy, but he's a defense first guy. He's got Ohio roots, just like right. Mark D'Antonio did in a lot of ways. Like we, it's, it's a similar profile. And that profile has worked in East Lansing in the past. And then if Mel Tucker, he's worked the portal, right? He seems on the edge, the cutting edge of what's happening in the sport right now. I don't think that's this is crazy at all. Now, the hard part about that is D'Antonio took advantage of Michigan's downturn. And if Harbaugh's going to stay and be good, or if Michigan's back, as you said, you can't have four top 10 teams in the Big Ten East, probably. 
But Mel Tucker, I don't think Mel Tucker's going anywhere. I think that's a good pick. But could it could it, could it be this thing? Uh, we, we always talk about the SEC, and like there's always there are, there are all these teams that are capable of winning, and we don't talk about the Big Ten in the same in the same breath, namely because the history hasn't really backed it up. It's been Ohio State has been the only capable team in many years. Uh, Penn State, you know, in 2016 they lose one less game. They're in that playoff uh, conversation. Michigan has has obviously made the playoff. Michigan State made the playoff once. Can we talk about the, that group of four similarly that we talk about Alabama, Georgia, uh, LSU, maybe Texas A&M, Florida? C- could we ever get into that uh, same same conversation or because it's the Midwest and it's not the Southeast and not all four recruit in, in the top five or have that ability, we'll never get to that same conversation? I think if they go about it, different ways i don't think all four of them can try to win the same way and i know mel tucker is gonna want to you know he doesn't want to live in the portal he doesn't want to have 20 starters out of the portal every year but he's been smart and calculated so far if he can continue to be that way ohio state is recruiting nationally for its skill guys which opens up drew aller as an ohio guy to go play at penn state right if ohio state's gonna chuck it around but michigan's gonna run it and run it really effectively. If they all do it a little differently, Adam, I think they can find their lanes and all succeed as long as they're not all trying to succeed the same way. Of course, the recruiting terrain in the Midwest is not as fertile, so it makes it harder. But I don't think it's impossible. I think it's a very good point because it's not about like, oh, well, Michigan State lost four games last year. They weren't very good. It's like, hey, man, they lost to Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. They played right with them in every game. They lost one other goofy game, but they were good at football. And now maybe the next year, They'll win three of those four games and be right in the playoff mix. I do think capability, not just do you do it, because if you have all good teams, someone's going to lose. But capable of doing it, maybe we do see four Big Ten teams get to that threshold. Shahan, who's your team five years from now? You go first. I'm going to talk crazy after that. All right, I'll say Penn State if Drew Aller changes the trajectory of the program. If Drew Aller, not that Drew Aller is going to be the quarterback in five years, but if Drew Aller, we sort of saw this with – Dwayne Haskins and then Justin Fields at Ohio State. They changed Ohio State into a place where, hey, I want to go there and throw. If Drew Aller can do that at Penn State, they once upon a time had Justin Fields as a recruit, then he decommitted. They have not had a guy like this. If that's real and he puts up three or four years of big numbers and some big-time wins and then the next top 50 national player quarterback says, yeah, State College, let's do that. I think they have. A, I think Penn State has a chance to change who they are, and everything they've done. They're good at defense. They've had a great secondary, right? They've been, you know, kind of an old school team. They've obviously had some troubles on the offensive line, but if that happens, that's a new Penn State, and I think it's on the board that it could. So I'll say the Nittany Lions. Now Shahan can go crazy. <laughs> so, what is the biggest development that is likely to happen in the next five years? Uh, I, I think there's two. One, obviously, the expanded playoff, I think, is coming. Two, and this is the more consequential thing, I think we're finally going to get rid of divisions. And with that, I'm going to say Maryland. So, wow, okay. A big, a big part of it is, look, you got to figure out which uh, which team from the East. <laughs> if, if you're going to be saying all that, which team from the East is going to emerge out of that? But I think that they're in a moment right now where Virginia, Virginia Tech are good, not great. Uh, you know, North Carolina's come, kind of come in and taken that recruiting area. 
I don't think it has to be that way, right? I don't think that there's anything about North Carolina that has to be that way. And so Mike Loxley came in, he recruited a, a couple top 20 classes. I think that he's recruiting pretty well. But I think more than anything else, not having to play all four of those teams that Adam mentioned every single year will fundamentally change what this program is. Because you look now in in the Big Ten West, I mean, I always had good recruiting classes because of it. Wisconsin recruits well because of it. And, and a big part of why they're able to be what they are, even Minnesota, I'd point to what they've been able to do over the past couple of years. So much of that is the fact that they have an easier path. And Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana have been put in literal hell relative to their programs for the past however many years at this point. I think that when the divisional structure does change, I think that Michigan, uh, sorry, Maryland will get a much easier path. I think that they'll probably, whether it's common opponents, however they end up doing it, I think that it does end up being an easier path for them. And so, look, playoff is obviously, uh, you know, pie in the sky type stuff. But when you do have an expanded playoff, when you're pushing for 12, and when the schedule is manageable to where maybe you can be a little more in that Iowa and uh, Wisconsin tier, I don't think it's impossible. I, I think that Maryland has been really held down by the fact that they have to play one of the toughest schedules in all of college football. And it's one of those things that would feed on itself. If the schedule relaxes a little bit, you start stacking a few more wins. Now all the right. recruits in the DMV start thinking of Maryland as a place where I can go win there. I don't have to. That's a fertile recruiting ground. If Maryland would own that recruiting ground. And again, we don't know. Maybe Tony Elliott at Virginia gets it going and they try to own that. Virginia Tech is not what it was in the height of the Beamer era. I think that's a interesting choice. And, and I think that the other thing that I'll mention is we saw it a little bit with Indiana. When Indiana had their really nice season, uh, you know, people flocked that people were like, whoa, this is exciting. You know, I, I didn't realize it could be like this. And they put together a really good recruiting class. They got a good transfer class. And of course, they collapsed like a dying star onto themselves. But I don't think that uh, I don't think that means that the path won't be there for another team that maybe has their moment. And uh, no, I mean, like you said, the DMV area is stacked with talent. Uh, the Tidewater area, not far from there, stacked with talent. I think that Maryland is an attractive place to be if things work out. You got to invest, I think, is the big part of it, right? I mean, that's going to be, I think, one of the fundamental questions. And I don't know if Mike Loxley is the guy who can get them there. I think that it might have to be another hire. But uh, but I'm intrigued, I think, about what Maryland can be in a world where they're not encumbered by Ohio State and Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State. And, uh, you know... Like I said, I, I'm willing to talk crazy. Yeah, I think I think I mean I, I think you make a lot of good points. I just, I think the Loxley thing is where I'm caught up. He's 15 and 49 as a head coach, and you know I think he's a guy that can get you maybe seven eight wins. Um, I, I don't think he can he can get you to that next level necessarily. And I don't know, guys, if we're talking enough about. I, I know that it, I, your comments earlier about the West were spot on, Shahan, but like we haven't really mentioned PJ Fleck and what he's done. Mm -hmm. um, nor have we mentioned Pat Fitzgerald. I know they've had two really bad years, but it feels like those bad years have completely invalidated like 15 pretty good years and some really good years. I mean, they've, they've made the Big Ten championship game twice. Minnesota has elevated its program. I guess because someone who's covered this league for so long, I, I tend to lean more towards um, the, the, the folks who've been around for a while and kind of know how to win in the Big Ten. Even if you get rid of divisions, it could be hard. It will be harder for Northwestern. It will be harder for for a Minnesota curious what, what Greg Schiano can do as a guy who's now been kind of in the league for a little while. But I, I guess I, I, I tend to go a little bit more towards the coaching sure things versus those who 
certainly can 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 bring in talent. Mike Loxley's done that, but you know they've also just they haven't beaten the West teams. Like they haven't beaten Northwestern, they haven't beaten Minnesota, they haven't beaten Iowa. Iowa, you know, had like fifty interceptions against them last year. So that's <laughs> there's a step there. It could happen. I just I just yeah. I have my my reservations about the head coach. I think that fundamentally they need to have an identity, right? I I think that that's obviously what the teams who are in that second tier of the Big Ten do, is they figure out what they can do. Obviously, Northwestern, it's been defensive. It's been hard-nosed. Wisconsin, it's been that physical running game along with the defense. And, you know, I I like what Maryland has done in terms of trying to emerge as that pass-happy offense, right? There isn't really, uh, there aren't really a ton of teams in this league that are trying to do that. But now, obviously, you have, Purdue doing it at a higher level than what Maryland is doing right now. Obviously, Ohio State is lapping you from that perspective. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's an identity to be found at Maryland. And and maybe Rutgers would be kind of a, a similar type interesting case with the way that they're investing right now under Greg Schiano. Um, again, not, not that they necessarily will be playoff teams, but, you know, where they maybe have a chance to emerge into that second tier and have a defined identity and, and really have ownership over what they are. I think that's what you want. If you're a Maryland fan right now, you just want to know what you're going to get on a football field on a given week. Uh, and, and I don't think under Mike Loxley that you've gotten that. I am intrigued by Minnesota, Adam. Some of the individual guys they've had there in the past couple of years, what they had with Rashad Bateman, what they had with an edge guy like Boy Mafe, what they had with a running back like Mo Ibrahim, who got hurt in the first game last year in his back. Uh, I'll be curious to see what the next evolution, once Tanner Morgan is gone, he's been there for so long, a quarterback, and he's going to be there again. But like, what's next after that? But I do think you can see... All right, these are some top tier dudes. If you can add to the depth of talent a little bit, and if PJ's here to stay for now, right, then it does feel like they're investing in him and investing in the program. Minneapolis is a kind of a different place than a lot of other Big Ten towns. I've always thought Minneapolis might be, Minnesota might be that team that could punch through a little bit. And I think that I think that possibility is still out there for them, especially if Flex there sort of for for the long haul yeah I, I and again i think this is a year that they've they've kind of quietly earmarked as is one that they, they they could you know take a another step forward um you know w- at some point they got to win the west uh, before it before it goes away or or challenge for something beyond um uh you know beating wisconsin and 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 some of those trophy games they obviously had the great season in 2019 not a great season in 2020 decent season last year can they, you know, take that step this year? I think it's, I think it's fascinating. It's just another wrinkle in that West um, where uh, there's, there, like you guys said, there's no elite teams, but there's a lot of teams that uh, either are good or have been good recently that you have to contend with. I mean, if Illinois is going to be a factor, Doug, like you said, every team on that side, other than maybe Nebraska, has been somewhat of a factor recently and maybe nebraska will be <laughs> maybe it's this this is finally the year after so many close losses last year but if you go down the list you know iowa gets to the big 10 championship game northwestern's made two in recent years wisconsin has been there a lot minnesota hasn't been far away purdue's taking a step forward so someone's got to be bad um maybe it's northwestern again maybe it's illinois maybe it's somebody else nebraska but um it, you can really make a case on that side whereas in the east Really hard to make a case for Indiana. Really hard to make a case for Rutgers or even Maryland at this point to be a challenger to win that division. All right, prediction time. Who is actually going to make the playoff from the Big Ten this year? 
Shahan, we'll start with you. Well, th- thank you. Yeah, I mean, I have to. I, I don't know. I might need a second to think about this, uh, especially after the whole ninety-minute podcast that we just did. Uh, yeah, it's Ohio State, uh, the team that we mentioned three different players for uh, for potential Heisman picks. The the team that we basically were like, yeah, I don't know if you can be a spoiler if you don't have them on your their schedule. Uh, yeah, again. Two teams in the country at this moment that I think uh, stand above everybody else. All respect to Georgia, who's the defending national champions, but Alabama and Ohio State are on a collision course right now. And anything short of those two teams playing for the national championship should be a disappointment to these two teams. Adam. Yeah, same deal. I mean, Ohio State's, you know, I don't think there's any real angst about Ryan Day. And he's done so many positive things there in Columbus, but this is a team that is built to contend for and ultimately win a national championship and and Doug you and I have talked I'm sure you Shahan and I will talk about this over the years as well like Ohio State doesn't win enough national championships they just don't like for a team that's dominated as long as they have and recruits the way they do and has all the support uh, that that they they have and and now is investing in the coaching staff like they never did uh uh, really uh, until recent years they they absolutely should make it back to the playoff uh, they should get to the national championship game. And I would even say if they don't win a national title and I'm a Buckeye fan, I'd be disappointed this year. One thing that we mentioned uh, was, you know, with Alabama, they had that group of four receivers, right, that came through the program. Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle. right? That group won two national championships. It was, it was one of the greatest groups of all time. Well, now you're in a position where you had Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, and those three receivers who have come through Ohio State, obviously Chris Olave, uh, Garrett Wilson, and now Jackson Smith and Jigba. And they've won one playoff game across all of that, right? And they missed the playoffs in one of those years. So I think that you're absolutely right. To have that group take over multiple, multiple years of the program, right? I mean, we're talking four years at least of the program. To not win any national championships with that group and only win one playoff game, of course, to this point, it's disappointing to say the least. And that's just the bar at Ohio State, like you said. I mean, this has been one of the great programs in all of college football. I, I've argued before that I think that it might be arguably the most well-run program in all of college football. But at the same time, two titles since 1972. That, that's not what you would expect from a program that's been this consistently excellent. And so I think that 2022 is a big year for them to try to, uh, to get back into that discussion. I think they're probably the best team in the country. I do think it can be hard. Like you look at the Ryan Day, like 2018 was so crazy in so many different ways. But like since Ryan Day took over, make the playoff, lose the semifinal against Clemson, they probably should have won. But LSU as a super team was waiting anyway. 2020, they make the national championship game. And then 2021, they lose at Michigan for the first time in a decade and it keeps them out of the playoff. I just feel like the whole Ohio State season is figure out a way to block Will Anderson in the national championship game. Because Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo ruined their season last year. Make sure C.J. Stroud has enough time against Alabama. It's like a Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson get to work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Regular season, third Big Ten championship. We get it. But like block Will Anderson. That's the whole Big Ten season is that, which is crazy. Because you have a bad day and all of a sudden you don't get to Will Anderson. But they should. I agree with you. They have all the makings of a playoff team. They have the the rightful expectations of a playoff team. And I think they will be a playoff team. But even beyond that, this is 
you got a veteran quarterback back because then again, I mean, you know, you get two years of starting quarterback. Is Kyle McCord going to be ready to win a national championship as a first year starter in 2023? I don't know. This is their year in a lot of ways. This is their year. And I think most people uh, probably view it that way. All right. He's Adam Rittenberg. A lot of work on ESPN Plus. I pay for it. Worth it, right? Definitely it's, worth it. Because it's definitely cool. Come on, guys. You guys aren't as bad as the coaches, though. The coaches are my favorite. The coaches who, hey, bro, can you email me your story? And I just, I just text <laughs> back their salary. You can afford it. So yeah. I appreciate the support. Uh, you're telling me that like the athletic department can't even get like an athletic department wide ESPN Plus subscription. I mean. For me, it's it's just the bundle, right? Like I'm over here watching uh, the Mandalorian and then going and checking out some Adam Rittenberg work. Like that's easy, no problem. Do you ever see the Mandalorian like in the cafeteria? <laughs> is, <laughs> no, I haven't been back, but we are going in for our first meeting post pandemic um, in in August. So I will certainly let you know. Nice. Is is it like uh is it like how it is in the commercials? Is LeBron James getting his chair stolen and all that? Like is that is that how uh Bristol's like? I haven't seen him, but you will see the random athlete and oh interesting. They're they're here today, or maybe they're auditioning to be an analyst, like that that type of thing. But yeah, I have not seen one of those commercials. That would be a highlight uh to actually see one of those being put together. All right. So make sure you're reading Adam Rittenberg on ESPN.com and ESPN Plus. Make sure you're reading Shahanja Hiraja at CBS Sports. And make sure you're listening to the College Football Survivor Show every week. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also have that bonus episode for Apple Podcast listeners. This week, Shahan and I talked about that Jimbo Saban thing along with everybody else. But our thoughts on that. We'll keep doing these uh, playoff previews for different conferences. For now, we appreciate you guys listening. For Adam and Shahan, I'm Doug. And that was the College Football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line